expressed in this podcast did not necessarily reflect the view of Wolfpack Research or any of its officers. The views and opinions expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. We are not investment advisors. We hold no registrations with the SEC, FINRA, or any other regulatory agency, and none of the opinions expressed on this podcast should be considered investment advice. The listener should assume that we have positions in and stand to benefit from any stock or other security mentioned on this podcast. Do your own research before making investment decisions. Welcome to the Wolf Den, everybody. This is Dan David coming back at you with the pack. And by the pack, I mean, what is this sound Carl? <laughs> it's Carl the sound guy. It's Carl the sound guy. What sound? It's a new year and Carl thinks he's like Madonna or Sting. <laughs> you know, he needs a name that's just one word. I, I trademarked it. I trademarked you it. You trademarked sound Carl? I did. I did. Is that is that a serious thing? You did that? I did. I filed you the paperwork for it. You are such a douche. Oh my God. Well, look, it's a fast-moving week, and today we have a special guest. I know I say that in every podcast, but I'm very excited for today. For two and a half decades, our guest had a special in his job title. How many of you have special in your job title? <laughs> Not in your description, Carl. No, in your oh, job no, title. No. Or what your mother calls you. <laughs> Joe Morosco was at the FBI. Yeah, that FBI. You know, the one that breaks down your door at 6 a.m. He says, hello. <laughs> Joe worked his way up, and he's always stayed in the niche, focusing on protecting you and me in a very non-public way. His posts include special agent of counterintelligence, supervisory special agent of counterintelligence, supervisory special agent of cyber, assistant section chief of counterintelligence, and supervisory special agent of HUMIT. That's a human intelligence gathering. Yeah, that sounds really cool. We're going to talk about that, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Also, assistant special agent in charge of counterintelligence cyberterrorism. And before he had to give up his government-issued fully automatic MP5, he was a senior section chief for counterintelligence. Wow. All of these are my old jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joe is currently a critical infrastructure director responsible for North America and Latin America for software company SAP. He's also spent time in the investment world at Vanguard. Poor guy. <laughs> Joe has appeared for congressional committees, presented at public and private conferences, and has appeared on several prominent podcasts. None as prominent as this one, I would say. <laughs> but we really think we want to talk to Joe about is his time in the FBI fighting what feels like a war of attrition against hackers and cyber terrorists, whether they're individuals or state-sponsored or enemy states. We want to hear more about that. And of course, why Carl's Pornhub history has gotten him in trouble in the past. Maybe Joe can fill us in. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Carl. I appreciate it very much. I'll just start off by saying the FBI only really comes to break your door down if you're guilty of a crime. So, so see, that sounds like something the FBI would say. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they've never screwed that up before. Oh. Joe, I, I've, I've always wondered, and before we get too far into to the hackers and everything, who pays for the door? Like, I mean, you guys come in, you have the yeah. little battering ram and you smash that door to pieces and you have the cool windbreakers. It's guns blazes. But who pays for the door? So, Carl, obviously, uh, depending on the threat, we like to try to if we have to break a door down or break something, we try to minimize it, minimize it. 
However, I can't speak for every department, state, local, or federal, but the FBI actually does have a budget uh, to repair doors, windows, and the like in the event that we have to go to that extreme. But for the most part, we, we hope for full compliance, though it, it doesn't happen often, but, but we do have a budget for it. Hey, can you imagine that? You, you know, Joe, I'd like you to come in and sit down. This is the fifth window and door you broke this month. <laughs> All, right. All right. That does happen as well. Yeah. <laughs> Could you try to at least open the door? The yeah. road? It was <laughs> unlocked. It was unlocked. <laughs> or vehicle you damaged. Or, or ve- oh, oh, well, that oh, so- nice. sounds like there's some history there, Joe. <laughs> No, 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 no. Friends and colleagues. Friends That's and right. colleagues. Right. It's always the other guy, right? <laughs> well, look, for the most part, I think you're right, Joe. The FBI is knocking on your door. You're probably not wondering what it's all about. I have wondered why in every single case, number one, the overwhelming show of force for senior citizens that might be a white collar criminal when like 30 or 40 agents shown in, everybody has their gun drawn. Is there like no situation where you're, you're affecting an arrest? at somebody's residence or whatever, where people are not armed to the teeth? Is that just kind of the SOP? So obviously it depends on the crime, the violation. With the FBI, which I really always appreciated, Mm -hmm. for every arrest that we conducted, we would typically go in with a, not a set number, but typically a minimum of 10 agents, right? And for that reason, because we really want compliance, we want to go home at the end of the night. Yep. We don't want to lose uh, law enforcement officers, task force officers, FBI agents. Um, so we do tend to go in with a show of force. However, you know, you might think that a white collar crime might not be as serious as a terrorism crime or a gang or drug crime. However, those individuals also have a lot to lose. So you consider what they might possibly be facing, jail time, life in prison. They always have the propensity to go full bore, to come out blazing because they do not want to go to jail, let alone sit the rest of their lives in jail. So we treat every violation the same. We go in to stop the threat, to anticipate the threat. And that's typically our MO. Yeah. To live and come home. Yeah. No. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Even if it takes air, land, and sea patrol. We, I, I've seen that before too. That's, I mean, it, it, you're right. I don't know if you had a particular case in mind, but you know, there was one over the last year or two. I saw... Two things. Uh, the Roger Stone one guy, that, that complete wacko, wacko. I've had a feeling that's the one you were talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then there was a, a show we did last week where there was a pharmaceutical rep who was involved in a RICO case. And, and I totally agree with you. White collar criminals can be much more dangerous, I think, than even street level gang members because- they have the resources. Well, they affect more. They, they they have more effect. I mean, if you're ruining somebody financially, I mean, you're you're kind of killing them in a way. Yeah. You're certainly taking years off their lives. And in the in the case with Insys Therapeutics and the drug rep, they they actually killed people right yeah. oh, with this yeah. drug. Literally, yeah. But this guy is on the beach, and and yeah, they had shore patrol with snipers on there, and they're just not screwing around at all. Correct. And and same thing with the Roger Stone guy. Like this is an old man. Again, not screwing around, an overwhelming show of force. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm all for the FBI, everybody going home safely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dan, and not everybody will agree with me. Not everybody will agree with the FBI. Not everybody likes the FBI. But having spent almost 24 years in the FBI, every organization is going to have a few bad apples, uh, regardless of where it is around the world. But the vast majority 
of FBI employees. They're there for the right reasons to do the right thing, to forward the mission and to stop crime on a global scale. Yeah. And our bureaucracy, you know, I think bureaucracy gets kind of a bad rap in the name of itself, but it really has saved us in the past. Absolutely. The bureaucrats that are there, which a lot of FBI senior officials are are nominally bureaucrats, right? Sure. Kind of stop, I don't know, dictatorships, coups, terror terror attacks. I mean, you know, domestic and, and otherwise. So And stuff we don't know about. Correct. We're we're big fans of the FBI here. I love them. I like them. I think they're good. I have notes. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Let's go over the notes. Because they are listening. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, sure. Great. Listen up. Speak into the pen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, I've had the pen mic pulled on me before. That was with the Mossad guys, uh, Black Cube. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. God, I turned it on them. That's a whole nother story. I wanted to talk to you because your particular, some of your particular background was in cyber terrorism. And in this is something that is just really, people have just given up, I think. I know I have in a lot of ways. I, I don't know if I shared with you at one point that a couple of years ago, the FBI called me unsolicited and said, you're being monitored by China. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to the fucking party. I mean, you know, that's, it's been happening for a while. And they wanted to come to the office and clone all my computers and take all of my hardware, which I was fine with. So I, I said, come on. So they, this wasn't a local field office, by the way, from Fort Washington or Philly. They flew in and they really had no answer for how a private citizen like me protects themselves against being monitored by a foreign government. What is the answer? So typically violations like that or that scenario that you just presented would typically be handled by a local field office, by the cyber program, by the counterintelligence program. There was probably, if they came to you saying that you were being monitored by the Chinese government and you say it was it was not a local field office, I mean, we do have like a cyber response team that would typically get deployed for a major incident. Yeah. I don't want to say what state they were from because I don't want to screw them up. They, they were very good guys. They spent a couple of days in our office. Yeah, that's fine. But they were from state far away. (laughs) They probably knew and were not in a position to tell you everything. There are absolutely ways that you can protect yourself. Okay. And it, it goes down to what we tend to tell individuals and companies alike is to just make sure that you are keeping your antivirus softwares up to date both personally and professionally. The reason I say personally and professionally is because you could work for a big company, any given company, and you can you have the money to make sure that your security, your network is protected. But then you go home, go to your personal computers where they're not very protected, and you're putting your whole life out there on social media. And if, you know, what we tend to find is that some people in those positions don't have social media accounts. Yet their family members do. And their family members, children, teenagers, spouses, they're putting all that information about your entire life, maybe places that you're traveling to, either individually or as a family, where you're going on vacation, big promotion that you received or a big bonus that you received. And then that's where those weak links occur, where nation states, criminals, hackers, the teenage hackers, all the way up to the 45-year-old hackers that are still living with their parents in the basement. I hope I don't offend anybody, but Carl. it's absolutely true. <laughs> 
I didn't want to say that. <laughs> but, um, so there are absolutely ways uh, to protect yourselves. And then also the selling of information. Make sure you're aware where your information is going. If you're answering or addressing telephone calls or emails that you receive, or just something on social media that you is asking you to submit your name and so on and so forth, personally identifiable information, like uh, just enter your date of birth. These individuals can find out a lot of information about you. You know, you found out a lot of more information in my intro there than I even provided. There are absolutely things that you can do and should do. Most people don't take the time to think about it or do it. And then that weakest link is where they usually get in. Well, all right. You're a cyber super cop. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. But, you know, what you're saying to me is, is is kind of what's out there, right? You have you have the right antivirus. And by the way, if you have one you like better than others, you know, tell us. And we have to change our lifestyle of our children. That's a real tough thing for kids to do. I don't know if you've noticed, but saying no to kids is, is, is not a parent's strong point these days. Even that being the case, I don't, I don't know that they're going to do that, number one. And number two, even though I nominally do all of that stuff, I mean, I have some social media presence on Twitter because I need it for business. If China wants in, they're getting in. Am I right? China or any other given country wants to get in, they will get in. And you're absolutely right. I have two teenagers of my own. And if I tell them to stay off of Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, TikTok is a China-owned entity. I'm convinced there's backdoors all over that thing. Yeah. So you're right. You cannot, you can inform or try to inform a teenager as much as they want to listen to a parent, but you will never fully be able to stop it, which is why if you can take all of the precautions that are available to you and you try to mitigate those threats and vulnerabilities, it's better than just ignoring it and hoping it'll go away. The world has become a lot smaller with the internet. Yeah. And it's... it's And globalism. And globalism. You no longer have to send an intelligence officer 10,000 miles away to steal information. You can do it with a couple keystrokes on a computer. Yeah. A lot quicker, a lot cheaper. Are VPNs really effective? VPN. VPNs are effective. Oh. And I would say if they're administrated properly, then they can. VPN, particularly in the last, what, two years now with the pandemic and a lot more individuals working from home, a lot of companies closed their doors at the drop of a hat back in March of 2020. So it forced everybody to go online. A lot of companies had VPNs in place and a lot of companies had a scramble to get a VPN. So again, they are safe. But it's also just incumbent upon the cyber infrastructure of that particular company to make sure that the bugs and fixes and patches are kept up to date. Well, good information. That's, uh, that is good to know. We get that question from time to time. Joe, you know, I, I have to say the, the attacks are, are relentless. Mm-hmm. But I also feel some of them are so clumsy that it, it amazes me that the, even some of the corporations like Google or the Facebook or whomever allow them to even kind of go through, oh, you've won the lottery from the Liberian king or, hey, you know, your bank account that you don't even have a, a bank account at has been hacked or the, the phone calls with the robocalls where you get the voice that says, this is the FBI. We've issued a warrant for your arrest because there's a violation on your social security number. And the English is off. It, it just amazes me that 
the corporations are even allowing some of this to go through. Several things here, right? They have to battle freedom of speech, right? People want to put that out there. They can do it. Also, it's going to take some time before the social media accounts or companies are going to realize that it's not a legitimate company, not a legitimate offer, and so on and so forth. I mean, it might look legitimate to some and be obvious that it's illegitimate to others. And those would be the elderly, those with financial difficulties, either temporary or permanent. We've even had FBI employees that fell to these same scams. Um, We've had law enforcement officers, elderly parents. If you get a scam, like you talked about some of those where somebody says, uh, you know, you won a million dollars or 3.5 million in publisher's clearinghouse and you only have to pay $2,500 in taxes. Well, that is an obvious scam to me, to you, maybe to Dan, right? But somebody that really needs the money or thinks, wow, that's really a good deal. Let me just try it once. You know, there's reviews out there that people actually got their money. Well, those reviews are false as well. So obviously they're going to make it look as legitimate as possible. As far as the social media companies, they don't always, always know. And I'm sure that they're taking them down as soon as it's, it's made available that they are. But the other thing that I'll say is the scammers that are doing this, Carl, are very good at what they do. We would see servers being rented or uh, whatever you want to call it for a year at a time. And now we see these same hacktivists and scammers, they're leasing these same servers. I mean, it was a year that it was down to six months, three months, a month. I mean, they can re- change their servers every week if they have to, to try to dodge law enforcement. They get new phone numbers, uh, which is why the robocalls, you can block a phone number on a robocall, but then they'll just, they have hundreds, if not thousands of other phone numbers that they're going to call you from. So it is relentless because technology, it's only getting better, faster, more capacity. So these types of scams are not going away. We, meaning US government, state, local, federal, private sector, employers have to do a better job of informing people, employees to know what to look for and what to do and not to do. Well, okay. We throw around the term cyber terrorists quite a bit. I mean, do you believe that you can be a terrorist simply from behind a keyboard? Absolutely. Okay. So I have one question for you. Why don't we kill them? <laughs> no, I mean it. I mean, like, why don't we, why don't we put them on that drone strike list? Like somebody who is otherwise known as a terrorist and, and kind of a kinetic field of battle, right? That, that shoots at people. It's, I mean, you talk about our critical infrastructure, right. and I would like to know at some point what you think, you know, we should be worried about there. But why don't we put any of these people on a killer capture list? So that is a probably a much deeper conversation <laughs> than on a 25, 45 minute podcast. But I will tell you, Dan, that obviously the first mitigation effort is not to just kill these people. Mm-hmm. I don't think any law enforcement or sworn law enforcement officer, the first thing they're thinking of is let's just go out and kill that person. Obviously, it's to bring them to justice. You know, I, I'm not going to speak to the level at which it might take to kill because there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of forms to fill out. 
well, there's a, a lot of paperwork <laughs> no matter what you do. Um, but that's not, that's not where a law enforcement officer or the military likes to go right from the onset. I mean, I, look, I, I understand the mindset of any human being is not to want to kill somebody. I, yeah. I, I totally understand that. But if the word terrorist means something and it means what I think it means, then there's there's striking terror in the hearts and minds uh, of the people here. And we don't want that. And it seems to me as as pro law enforcement as I am, and I'm, you know, listen, I'm on the record all over the place being there. So that's nothing new that we're losing, especially when it comes to cyber terrorism. I maybe we're just better at not talking about how we affect with, you know, suck, sucks neck. What is it called? Stuck necks. Stuck next. Yeah. Yeah. Or any other, but we're getting, we're getting nailed every day from Russia and China and everybody else. And they've got these really cool numbers for names, you know, as their, as their group and nothing seems to happen to any of these people. It seems like that would be emboldening. I would agree with you that the capabilities of our adversaries and that's the adversaries of the United States are very good. There is no question about that. But I would be so bold as to say that regardless of how capable our adversaries are, that the U.S. capabilities will always be higher, even if just slightly higher than our adversaries. Really? It is a chess game, not a checkers game when it comes to cyber warfare, counterintelligence, counterterrorism. We will always have the advantage. So as bad as it seems, I have no question that our capabilities are better. I hope so. God, I, I you know, I go to sleep hoping that sometimes. And, uh, and, and, I hope, and I hope it stays that way too. It seems to me with the advent of quantum computing, marrying that with AI, it's a very, very dangerous atmosphere to be in. I think China has the only quantum computing satellite, unless the United States just hasn't admitted it. That's what I tell myself, <laughs> that, that we do have that. It's something that we're watching closely and something people in investing who, who listen to this show are concerned about front running their trades, things of that nature. You know, we're a capitalist society and you know, money does matter. And you say the gap is closing between us and our adversaries where skill level is concerned. We're still far above and you believe we always will be. And I think that's great. How do we continue to stay above with talent and what the government can afford to pay these guys who are executing these orders? you know, the ones and zeros guys versus the unlimited budget of Silicon Valley. Whether it's the cyber professionals that we need as a U.S. government or, for example, like the drone strike operators and the government will never have the money to pay these individuals like the private sector does. When you go into the public sector, whether it's in the FBI like I did, or whether you go into the military, like a lot of other people do, you're doing it for love of country because that's what you believe in and that's what you stand for. We've had very skilled individuals in the cyber arena that we lost to the private sector yeah, because of financial payments and salaries and the like. We hope that those individuals uh, will pay it forward or pay it back to their service here and, and continue to work 
with the U.S. government. And I know that, you know, the majority of the retired FBI that I've worked with that have done just that continue to pay it back because they have seen it from the other side. And that's why it's so important that the private sector works with the public sector because we can't do it alone. We absolutely need that partnership and that collaboration to really help us, meaning the U.S. government or the U.S. as a whole, maintain that edge or that superiority. Yeah, that was the answer I was afraid of. And the truest one, I know, that we, we're always going to lose talent to the private sector. Frickin' Zuckerberg. <laughs> well, well, don't forget, the, the ones they catch, you know, work your parole, work for the Fed, or go to jail. Yeah, no, I mean, but seriously, I, it, it just makes Joe's point that much more impactful that yeah. there's got to be that partnership between public and private sector because you might love your country very, very much. I do. I know I do. But at a certain point in time, you love your wife or you love your husband too. And they're like, Hey man, <laughs> I want a bigger house and we're going to have a family and we're going to, you know, and I just hate to see our government lose talent like that. And I have to have faith. Like you're saying, Joe, you're in the private sector now and, and you're still paying it forward to the country. And hopefully for any of you that are listening that have made that leap from government sector work to the private sector, you're still paying it forward too, because it matters. Absolutely. What do you think is the critical infrastructure we need to think about securing most? For those that are not aware or familiar with what the U.S. government deems as critical infrastructure, you can go on to Department of Homeland Security, CIS's uh, website, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, is the arm of DHS, which oversees and is responsible for critical infrastructure. The U.S. has 16 critical infrastructure sectors. At any given moment, the cyber attacks against all of these critical infrastructure sectors are occurring. As far as what I would say, which would require uh, more attention or prioritization, and I would say this in no particular order, information technology, financial services, energy chemical, transportation, regardless of how you look at these, you really want to consider them as all important all the time. Because all 16 of these critical infrastructures and infrastructure sectors are what we, the U.S. government, deems to be the most important in all aspects. Right. Each country is going to have their own infrastructures that they deem critical. Some of the smaller countries, maybe tourism. But if tourism goes away, then some of these little countries could go away or their whole infrastructure can fall. Well, energy is big for us. And quite frankly, I worry about our energy grid and the age of it and the where we are as far as being technologically advanced in our energy grid. Is that something that concerned you or the FBI or... They war-gamed it out uh, a few years ago, the attacks on the, the infrastructure systems. And I, I think it was pretty catastrophic results when everything was, was turned off. Well, of course, when, but can they turn it off? Well, sometimes they go off unexpectedly <laughs> and they have to, uh, you know, which has happened in the Northeast several times. But are, are we concerned? We're absolutely concerned, which is why, you know, as a critical infrastructure expert here with my current company and for the better part of 23 and a half, 24 years with the FBI, I was responsible for critical infrastructure from foreign adversaries and, and the like. So what are we doing, right? What is the U.S. government doing? 
to protect critical infrastructure. They have made great strides over, uh, I'll say 10 years, but it's been a little bit longer than that, really since uh, September 11th is when a lot of things changed. The US government working with the private sector in what we call the public-private relationships are extremely instrumental. You know, you have companies that used to be really didn't communicate with each other because they considered each other competitors and they still do consider each other competitors. But they realized that in order to protect the sector, that these companies within the sectors have to get along, they have to communicate with each other. They have to do what they can collectively and synergistically to protect their own environment. So not only do you have companies talking to each other, sharing data, sharing information, sharing threats, and working out ways to mitigate it together, but now those companies are working closer with the U.S. government, state, local, and federal, but also with the U.S. Attorney's Office, Department of Homeland Security. You know, you might think it's just the U.S. government helping the private sector, which is not necessarily the case. You know, the U.S. government does a lot with very little because we don't have the money that we see in the private sector. So even the private sector, particularly in information technology, sharing that information with the U.S. government to bring our systems up to date allows us to do a lot more with even more than we had before. Oh, we have the money. We just don't give it to you. <laughs> where we should we we don't we don't we don't fund well, please do Dan. <laughs> yeah well I, you know I think it's a win-win yeah no i think more and more we are just over the last few years i think it's become this okay we need to put a lot of money and brain power into cybersecurity and infrastructure that we've been hearing about you say it's been going on since 9-11 but you know there's something about our government officials talking about it more it's been progressing progressing since 9-11 yeah Right. And and the rhetoric has actually started to infiltrate our society from the government level, which I appreciate that they're actually talking about it more because I feel like when they're talking about it, they might actually do it and, and give you the funds that you need. And as far as the private sector, private government sector cooperation, that, in my opinion, is when the United States has always been at its best. You look at COVID and you know Operation Warp Speed and getting these drugs to market better than any other nation in the world because we can do that. So I think that's the right way to go. I'd like to hear more about from our government officials how we're getting there, because it just seems to have happened last year that we had, what, two companies, private companies that were taken down and yeah, ransomed? The, the meatpacking one? Yeah. Correct, the ransomware. Yeah. And these, these are the individuals that I would love to see perp walked. <laughs> someday. Like, okay, here's the one that got whatever the meat producer's name was. Yeah. And we got them. Here they are, but we never seem to get there so far. I remember just several years ago giving a presentation. It was a national security and cyber presentation. And it was a lot of different agencies that were there, FBI, DHS, U.S. Attorney's Office, and uh, asking the private sector to work closely with the U.S. government. At the very end of the presentation, I think it was a three-hour whirlwind. And somebody stood up in the front row and said, Joe, I totally get what you're asking for. I understand why you're asking for it, but not for nothing. But if my company gets hit by a cyber attack, I'm calling a mitigation company to get it cleaned up and off my system as soon as possible. I'm not calling the FBI to come in, ask me to leave it there so you can track it and so on and so forth. My response to that was, I don't blame you. If you feel that strongly that you want to get it cleaned up, we're just asking that you call the FBI at the same time. 
because the only way to continue to track these bad actors is if we have some of the signatures from the event. And if we don't have anything, or the U.S. government doesn't have anything, there's really nothing to go after. Don't the mitigation companies call you in tandem? I mean, I, I thought most of them did. Not always, Dan. Sometimes it really just depends on the relationship. Oh, that's that's a shame. Oof. That's a miss. Yeah. A lot of times you have, you know, you have former FBI, CIA, DHS uh, retirees that go to work for some of these companies. They're going to be reaching out as much as they could. But, you know, you might have a company that says, I don't want you to call the FBI. Wow. I put them on the terrorist list, Joe. and then you want to kill them yeah well well, i mean you know if it's not an effective uh, deterrent then we probably shouldn't be doing it at all (laughs) so yeah it's just better collaboration cooperation with everyone is really what's going to help help everybody yeah agreed i'd love to think that we would get there bitcoin it seems like all of these things are paid in bitcoin what a lot of people don't know is our biggest fortune 500 companies I'm told, and authorized by their board of directors, have Bitcoin just in case, because it's not something you can just go, you want to go out to the marketplace and and get when you need it in a day. Is Bitcoin a help to our, our country and our currency, or is it a threat? Depending on who you talk to, and I hate to say that, but it is absolutely the case. Cryptocurrency in general, not just Bitcoin, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think that the banking system is going to crash. And when it does, you better have a backup. At the same time, cryptocurrencies are used in a lot of crimes on the internet, the dark web. Uh, I know that was a a topic that we may or may not get to. That's kind of how cryptocurrencies came onto the scene. It was a way of dodging the banking system where you know criminals thought that the uh, law enforcement would not be able to reach them. I can tell you that law enforcement has done a great job in uh, being able to surf the dark web. You know, obviously, we have our own cryptocurrencies in order to make financial transactions in that world. But at the same time, I really, you know, my background is in finance. I really don't know where the future of cryptocurrencies is going to go. There are a lot of businesses out there. I think they started with bars and online tradings that would only accept. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It is absolutely a lot more widespread. But if for whatever reason, just like the current banking and finance industry, if Bitcoin crashes or cryptocurrencies crash, there is no safeguard. Me personally, I think it's a risk investing in cryptocurrencies. For those that want to invest, buy and sell, I have, I personally don't have any issues with that. It's probably a great idea to at least understand what cryptocurrency is, what you can do with it in the event that it really does uh, take off into a major you know, trade currency around the world. Well, I think it already has. I have a friend that just moved to Puerto Rico and he can't afford anything in Dorado because of all the crypto guys just came in and yeah. they want to establish residency there before they sell any more. Tell you anecdotally, like the two FBI guys who came to my office, they wanted to know two things that were very, very important to them. Where to get a cheesesteak, the right place. <laughs> then they were not from Philly if they're asking. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. They, were, they were not even from <laughs> the state. Yeah. And what we thought of Bitcoin. And I'm talking this like three, four years ago. 
and they both owned it. They wanted to hear that they might not work for the FBI anymore because I think they owned it in the yeah three four years ago. They oh owned it no, like they owned it they two owned three thousand dollars. Like, yeah, probably less than that. Yeah. So yeah, even the FBI is kind of split on on Bitcoin. I think as far as personal opinions and what they own in their investment portfolio. How anonymous is it though, Joe? Can you like if you pay that ransom in the Bitcoin, are are we finding them? If you're talking like in the ransomware, a lot of the ransomware attacks that have occurred recently and just over the last couple of years, they want to be paid in cryptocurrency because it is very hard to track. You know, I've been out of the bureau for almost a year now and the capabilities of just law enforcement um, have gotten better for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if we definitely have an optic into that. But the whole ransomware phenomena is getting crazier because more and more companies are paying. They are paying in cryptocurrencies. They are a lot harder to trace. It's not impossible. I know that, but it's it's a lot harder. And then the more people pay, the more ransomware attacks are going to occur because they know there's a higher probability that they will pay. So it's just this cycle that is making it very difficult for law enforcement to stop. And, you know, I think it's going to be like the drug wars, right? I don't think you will ever be able to stop the drug wars. You just hope to be able to contain or mitigate them as much as possible. Yeah. In the dark web, you were talking about that. I what is the dark web? I've never I've never actually seen it in person. I mean Carl, <laughs> do you not use the dark web? It's uh, probably a good thing. No, I get a whole, all kinds of alerts that says my name's on the dark web, but... Oh, I'm sure. All of them. <laughs> all of your names. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. Your Jedi name's on there, too. <laughs> Joe, I take it you've been on the dark web for your work. How does that work? I mean, like, it's VPNs and, you know, all cloak and dagger? Yeah, it's, it's all cloak and dagger. I mean, the dark web, you know, part of the World Wide Web. It's only typically accessible by means of special software, you know, allowing users and website operators to remain anonymous and untraceable. When the dark web started, it was typically by invitation only. And that was a way to keep out law enforcement and just so they knew who was actually coming and going from the dark web. However, it's become a lot more widespread than that. And typically the only types of transactions that were occurring on the on the dark web were human trafficking, drugs, murder for hire, and just a plethora of other illegal activity. Fun stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's still happening, right? Absolutely still happening. Yeah. So there's yep. no way to just shut down the dark web. You can shut down certain aspects. You can shut down illegal activity. You can attempt to identify the actors that are in there. As far as completely shutting down the dark web, I don't even think that's a possibility just in the in cyber world that we live in. I don't think it would be because if you close down one room, others are out there and you can just keep opening them up. Just like we talked about with the robocalls and the phone calls. I mean, there will always be parts of the web, almost like a universe type setting where just multiple rooms at any given time throughout the entire network. We should farm it out to China. <laughs> they could do it. I mean, look, I mean, look what they've done with the World Wide Web in their own country. Clinton's famous saying when opened up China to the WTO and bringing them in to democracy. And I think the question was posed like, how are you sure they're going to adopt democracy? And he's like, you know, it's, it's called the internet. Let's see them try and control that chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> and they do. They do. It is a global problem. And you think about the cyber 
expertise in just, just the countries that you name there, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, the United States, on a global scale, just imagine what is going on in these hidden compartments in the dark web. I mean, look what's going on where everybody can see, right. let alone in the dark web where they're they're anonymous and invite only. And it's a whole new world. And, you know, I had a colleague that used to say for the younger generation that's growing up in this environment, you know, they're the digital citizens. Whereas those of us that are a little older, yeah. we're the digital immigrants because we're trying to learn all of this uh, after the fact. <laughs> yeah, but we played football outdoors. So... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So we win. <laughs> just, it's just interesting how things change over the years. North Korea gets undersold on, on cyber terrorism when, in fact, they famously hacked Sony. Yeah. And yeah, as, as I found out from my experience uh, of being, being monitored by China, it was the North Koreans that were doing it. They take them over the northern border of North Korea, which, you know, if, you're, if you want to look at a map, it's not that far from Beijing. And somewhere in between Beijing and North Korea, they have them set up in these nondescript buildings and they have North Koreans there doing the hacking. And then they take them back the next month and get another group and back and forth. And they do state-sponsored hacking on our critical infrastructure. And then, you know, I guess in their spare time, they do some things with people like me. To your point, you have, just like you have individuals posing as other individuals to hack computers, mm -hmm. you have countries posing as other countries to hack government systems, other countries, individuals, and the like. Yeah. So you really never know who is contacting you for what reason and what they're after. Sometimes it's not even, they may not even be after you. They might be after the contacts that you have the contact information for those individuals that they really, really want to get. I think that was part of it, actually. Yeah. I, you, yeah. Yeah. Look at you. Look how good you are at what you do. <laughs> uh, see that? Yeah. That was... they after you to get to me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you don't hear much about Anonymous anymore or uh, these Russian hackers, Cozy Bear. And I mean, did, did we kind of shut down Anonymous or, or are they just like happy with the way the world's going now? While Anonymous was big and they had their fanfare, I think it's really probably morphed into bigger groups of individuals that have taken on those responsibilities. I can't speak to what happened to Anonymous, uh, whether Anonymous was one person or multiple people. Eventually, the fanfare and whether you know those individuals were arrested or what have you. But you know what might start out as a pretty famous individual or group who has been known to conduct these types of things, it's it's taken over by somebody. So you know, Cozy Bear Anonymous, whoever it might be, there are other people that have taken on those responsibilities and probably onto I hate to say better and bigger things, but you know, bigger and more illegal things. Yeah to be more accurate. Well, I'd like to know where we're going with this and like, and, and see some light at the end of the tunnel. But so far, this is just my show notes here. One, we're, we're not, we're not so into killing cyber terrorists. So <laughs> I would agree. Apparently we're not going to do not at the onset. Okay, well, <laughs> we're past the onset, I think. Uh, so apparently my next request of killing the robocallers is, is out too. Oh God. That's, that's a no-no. I mean, I don't know why we can't do the robocallers. I mean, we could all agree on that, right? Uh, yes, they are horrible. They yeah. need to go. It, it, immediate death penalty. 
How would you know if your car warranty was expired if you didn't get all those calls? <laughs> That's the one. That's and and my healthcare needs. Yeah, yes. there you go. There you go. But then the, the reason these callers, the robo callers, are out there is because they are making millions upon millions of dollars with a thousand dollars here, a hundred dollars here. Yeah. It all adds up. That's why they continue to do it. That's why they take the risks. That's why they spend money to, uh, you know, keep transferring the servers or transferring phone numbers, and they go after the weak and the vulnerable uh, because they pay. And it's just, it's sad that an elderly couple might lose, you know, their entire life savings with one phone call. And it happens. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it still, it still does. It's terrible. The other thing is, uh, you know, our critical infrastructure, uh, our site for this is, did you call it the CIS site? CISA. CISA. Okay. C-I-S-A, yeah. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Okay. Which is an arm of the Department of Homeland Security. I'm going to go look at that site. I would say we need a new name because I've just found out that I'm a cisgender male. <laughs> <laughs> Or just a male. Well, I had no, I, I thought when people said cisgender, they were talking about, you know, something else and, and that's fine, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, no, that's me. So I should be on that site. Well, just up, update your pronouns on your website. Carl did that. I, yeah, that's right. Carl that's right. did that. He, right. That was part uh, of my trademark. Oh my gosh. All right. So what else can we be looking for? People, people understand that the FBI is out there protecting us with their lives in the most ardent way possible. Absolutely. What do you see as our biggest threats for the next two, three, four, five years? I mean, you're really one of the only people we can ask this question of. I know you have to be somewhat generic, but I'm not just talking cyber. I'm just talking any kind of thing that could turn into kinetic conflict or you know, a new Cold War. Yeah. Uh, cyber is going to be the number one. And under the cyber umbrella, there are just so many uh, different things. Besides the cyber, I mean, we really need to function as a country and not to get into a full political discussion, but we need to clean clean ourselves up in-house before we start looking outside. We can't have infighting within the U.S. government at the highest levels Agreed. and expect to fight the adversaries at the same time because having seen this firsthand where the rest of the world, the good and the bad, are watching every move that we as a country are making. And there are countries out there that you know you hear that you know they don't like the United States they don't like Americans there are countries out there where that is cannot be exaggerated enough they don't just not like Americans or not like the United States they totally despise everything that we stand for yeah they want it gone they want it gone yeah and when you talk about the the discord at the top a lot of this is fomented by foreign countries Absolutely. And going back to what Carl said about social media companies uh, picking up on whether that's good or bad. And we saw that through the 2016 election, where you had countries like Russia that were fomenting that 100% through the use of uh, social media and the riots uh, that had occurred as of recent. I mean, these countries are on there to try to you know, cause discord uh, here in the United States. And 
I think Effectively. we can all see that it's working. Yeah. yeah. And I, I feel Absolutely. like we've learned, I mean, this is not an FBI comment, but I, you know, I feel like we've learned nothing from it. It still happens. It still happens effectively. And when you, when you talk about how people are across the world are watching our every move very closely, some of them are watching it because they now think they may have a choice. It's the U.S. or China. Oh, yeah. Who, I mean, who, who do we take money from? When you talk about this, this Belt Road policy, that's really a military infrastructure policy that is set across Africa and is going to leapfrog is already leapfrogging from Africa to South America to screw with us in our own hemisphere. If you look at a map right now from 10 years ago of U.S. or Democratic influence in South America, it would have been almost all blue, uh, save for Venezuela and a few other countries. Now it's, it's more red than blue from the influence of China money. Right. How does the FBI view that? What do we do? We take it one step at a time, right? I can tell you that the FBI is looking at this from every angle, from an intelligence standpoint, from a national security standpoint, counterintelligence or counterterrorism, from a criminal standpoint, from white collar crimes, financial fraud, uh, financial fraud crimes to drugs, because sometimes the drug trade, that money goes to supplying a lot of illegal activity. Sure. Yeah, fentanyl. That, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So everything is interconnected. Well, thank you for what you do. You know, a real American hero that's done a lot for our country. Do you have any, any parting words for our listeners on how we can all do our part to protect ourselves? I mean, I, I love the fact that we got to have a better attitude about each other. That can't be overstated. But what else is there that you think that we could do that would help us stay number one in the world as far as a place to be admired? We just need to collaborate amongst ourselves, go into every situation open-minded. Don't go into relationships, whether it's personal or professional, thinking that somebody is out to wrong you. You know, you need to be able to communicate and talk things out. And that's the only way that things are going to get get resolved, you know, because everybody is online and a lot of emails, text messages, and that's how everybody communicates. A lot of times they get misconstrued, right? So pick up the phone and call. Yeah, I agree. Meet somebody face to face, shake a hand. But, you know, that's how work gets done around the world, even with adversaries. You know, we need each other. We need China. We need Russia for certain things, right? We need the Middle East. So we all need to get along. It's very difficult. And unfortunately, it's the world we live in. You know, that might sound very trivial. No, no, it's good stuff. <laughs> and being a little more elaborate. You're, you know, you're not the kind of guest that people, I normally part with, hey, here, here's how you follow Joe's work or yeah, how you contact Joe and this kind of stuff. But, you know, you're not going to follow his work and you're not going to contact him. So <laughs> he doesn't have a Twitter handle for, for you guys to just jump all over anonymously and call him names. You can save that for me. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed hearing from Joe. And if you did, give us a retweet, give us a like. If you didn't, well, you're probably a terrorist. And you know how I feel about that. <laughs> you know what's coming your way when I'm running things. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, leave us a comment. Give us a retweet. Follow us on Twitter. Thanks for joining us.
I speak English. Yo hablo español. But FCI brings us together. From document translation, interpretation, transcription, and voiceover to any of your linguistic needs, FCI helps the world communicate in one single language, yours. For customized language solutions, call 610-438-8900 or visit us at fcitle.com. FCI, the language experts, making the world connect.